Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, we're beginning a brand new series exploring the quest for the lost Ark of the Covenant with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. We're looking forward to seeing you at one of our upcoming conferences. August 11th and 12th, Bill Federer leads a lineup of speakers ready to bring clarity to the chaos in Colorado Springs. On Saturday, September 30th, we'll have a special one-day conference in Des Moines, Iowa, featuring Michael Hoggard, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, and Micah Van Huss. Our largest conference of the year will be a massive three-day conference in Columbus, Ohio, October 26th through the 28th. Over a dozen speakers, including our special keynote speaker, Jonathan Kahn. Registration for these conferences is open right now. Call 1-800-652-1144 and reserve your spot. Seats are filling up, so don't miss your opportunity to hear Jonathan Kahn live in person. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. We want to see you at these upcoming conferences, friends. Complete lineup of speakers, topics, and schedules are all found at swrc.com and click on events, or just give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. The Bible surpasses all the intriguing tales of wonder of the world's past. In its pages are revealed the most beautiful, ancient, and powerful treasure of all, the search for the golden Ark of the Covenant, and its accompanying temple treasures, as well as the details on the rebuilding of the temple of God. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino. I'm holding in my hand a volume I never thought I would see. Beacon Street Press, the publishing arm of Southwest Radio Church, has produced Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, Finding the Ark and Ashes. Now, friends, this is a well-written and information-packed book on the temple and related issues. Will there be a future temple in Jerusalem? Where is the lost Ark of the Covenant? What are the ashes of the red heifer? For this program and the next, we're going to be visiting with the author, Dr. Lonnie Shipman. Lonnie, it's so good to visit with you once again. It's very kind of you to help me be a part of your show. You know, I'm really impressed with the endorsements this book has received. Dr. W.A. Criswell, former pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas. Dr. Eugene Merrill, a distinguished professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Jimmy Draper, president emeritus of Lifeway. And our good friend, Dr. Carl Baugh, President, Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. So, wow, I'm really impressed. Plus the fact you are also a world-class concert pianist. Man, you have a lot of accomplishments. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. How did you get involved with studying the Temple, the Ark of the Covenant, and writing this wonderful book? Well, it's an interesting story. In my background, my father was a pastor 67 years. My mother had a piano at University, Baptist University over 20 years. I studied to be a concert pianist and won many competitions, traveling internationally as a teenager. And then I was called to preach, which I was surprised about. I thought, what a strange thing, a pianist called to preach. So I thought, how can I then? I went to Bible College, seminary, and after graduating and trying to preach as an evangelist, I think I had the burden to somehow use my music for God also. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll try to take arrangements of hymns and combine them with classical pieces and go to Europe and preach. 
And I planned this in my first trip. And on the trip over there through Belgium and Holland, like in 1992, my now father's closest friend in seminary, his friend Aubrey Richardson, and I was there when my mom and dad met. I've known Aubrey and his family all my life. Uh, he was there, and we were always growing up with our family. They graduated together in seminary, but Aubrey became the top engineer of the F-16 fighter jet program, mm. building the F-16 fighter jet from Fort Worth and later in Israel. He said, if you're going to Belgium, Holland, you get yourself on a plane and get over to Israel. Mm. I thought, well, I never thought about preaching in Israel. Wow. <laughs> I've been over there visiting a preacher as a pastor might, but not preaching. So he wanted me to come, and through that, I was, went to preach in Belgium, Holland, and then also in Israel for six weeks. Mm. While I was in Israel, I met many of the top rabbis and archaeologists, toured 80 to 11 Zedji Scroll Caves, many fascinating things, and came to find out the current details of what was going on toward rebuilding the temple and searching for the ark, and that really piqued my interest. Wow, well, it is an interesting story. So, are there one or two future temples in Bible prophecy? Well, that's one of the things I found was interesting. When I met the rabbis, they were arguing between each other. I think there's going to be one future temple. We've got to build a temple for the Lord to come back, for Messiah to come back. Oh, no, we have to wait till Messiah comes and he will build a temple. And they really have two views. And looking at the Bible, I found there's two coming temples. One for the tribulation, which, of course, they'll believe in the false Messiah, probably unknowingly. And then later, the Lord Jesus will come and establish the true temple. Mm. So will there also be a tabernacle with its pertinent furniture and accessories? Well, that's a very interesting question. Some people believe there's not even going to be a, another temple, but just a tabernacle only. But the Bible says there's going to be a temple and a tabernacle in Ezekiel 37. The Bible says there at the Valley of Dry Bones at the end of that chapter that they're going to rebuild the temple and erect the tabernacle again. And by erecting the tabernacle, it implies they'll have the attending furniture, you know, such as the table of showbread, Ark of the Covenant, those kind of things. Mm. And so there should be both. Mm. The Bible's clearly saying there'll be both at the time of the Lord coming back. What about the Jewish priests? Do they need the original Ark of the Covenant to renew the sacrifices? They, they need to go to the right place where the temple stands, where the temple stood in the Old Testament and rebuilt at the same location. But they also think they have to use holy stone, for stone from the same mountain, which was done before. So they're going to probably use the stone from that quarry where they used the stone before. And they are looking for the original Ark of the Covenant. It made another menorah. They say with 90 pounds of gold, this tall menorah, a seven-branch candlestick, and they're making other things to put in the temple, but they said they must have the original ark. The reason they believe they need the original ark is they think the presence of God resided over the ark, and there's a kind of glory, and in their thinking to have God in the temple, they've got to really have the original ark, not just a copy of the ark. The location of the lost Ark of the Covenant is very important. So where do you think the lost Ark of the Covenant is, and, and does anybody else know about it? Well, they've been looking for the Ark for many years, actually, <laughs> right. for a long time. Uh, I've read stories about them looking for the Ark over 100 years in different locations, and I list in my book at least 28 locations that they've been looking for the Ark in 10 countries. Now, they've actually been looking for the Ark, and some of the Ark's ideas are you might say a little outlandish or wacky. Some people believe things like the Knights Templar brought it to America or maybe to England or Ireland. All this is a little bit far-fetched. But then there's other people who know of 
logistical things such as Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. or the Egyptians or, or Jeremiah maybe taking some out Nebo, possibly the, the theory of, of Ethiopia, many other more reputable theories. So I deal with all the theories, the main different courses of where it might be, and then talk about what they've really found. Well, friends, we're visiting with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He is the author of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, Finding the Ark and Ashes. Now, this is a book that dives deeply into the history and mystery of the kingdom and the rebuilding of the temple and related items. I would consider it an exhaustive study of this important topic. Words such as Israel, Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ashes of the Red Heifer are words that I am sure you have heard many times. What do they mean? What is it all about? Why the search for the Ark of the Covenant in 10 countries and 25 locations, and how these are related to Jesus Christ and the Second Coming. So this is a volume that will provide you with insight and inspiration. Give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. And like I say, this is a book that will challenge you and will fill you with knowledge inspiration, and I'm really excited about it. It's a great, great book. Lonnie, if the ark is found, can you look at it? Can you touch it? I mean, what will happen? Will a person die? Well, there's different theories about this, and um, I personally believe because the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom when the Lord Jesus was crucified, that we have access to God now. Once his sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice of the atonement was made, we now have free access to God. So I believe, personally, we can touch the ark. And so I told my brother this. He said, well, we'll wait and see if you touch it, if you live. If you live, then I'll touch it. <laughs> I thought, what a funny thing. But I do believe, personally, you can touch the ark. But I know that they are planning, when they plan to find the ark, to get the qualified priest to go and pull it out and do it in the same way it was done in the Old Testament, carrying it, certain Levitical priests, on their shoulders, covered with the skins like it was in the Old Testament. Well, it seems to me from what you've just indicated about the location, about using the original ark, and, and so on and so forth, it's pretty important that it it be found if these sacrifices are going to continue and are going to satisfy the requirements of Jewish law. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes, the Jews want to reinstate their own temple so they can have a continual sacrificial service again, like they had before. And they've been praying for all the time. They've been dispersed for the return of the Messiah and the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. It's part of their daily prayers. So they're very serious about this. What about the number of arcs? Are there two different arcs? When I started researching, I only knew of the main Ark of the Covenant. And then I kept reading repeatedly in rabbinical literature, the rabbis, the writings in the Talmud and Mishnah and some of this, that they were talking about two arcs. I thought that was rather strange. And then I started looking at the scriptures, and the scriptures specifically say, Bezalel made an ark, and Moses made an ark. Moses made one in Deuteronomy 10, and Bezalel made one in Exodus 32, I believe it is. After Moses went up to get the first Ten Commandments, he saw the heavenly ark in heaven, the temple, all this in heaven, and saw the pattern of what to make. So he came down to fashion. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Well, I look at his like a sort of a pattern of what they would use. So Moses made one first, and then Bezalel later started making the furniture. He made the tabernacle and all the implements, and then made the ark last. But Moses was told to make the ark first. 
Now, the Jewish writings say that the Ark of Moses was the one that was taken into battle, and it was considered a battle ark, the one they would carry into, into battle to, to try to guarantee their success in battle. And the other ark, the one that basically Omega, I think, was more, more refined, more beautifully made, and basically it was apparently a, a jeweler who was specially gifted by God to make beautiful artwork and jewelry. And so he made all the golden art in a really amazing way. And that's the one they left in the temple, the tabernacle in the temple. Moses' ark had the broken Ten Commandments, and the one Bezalel made for the temple had the complete Ten Commandments, the second set, as well as a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and then a vial of oil for anointing the, the kings and priests on the side of the ark, as well as the five books of the Pentateuch written in the handwriting of Moses. Well, what about the uh, ashes of the red heifer? What are they specifically, and why are they important? Most people have never heard of the ashes of the red heifer, probably the least known of all of the early Jewish sacrifices. It was uh, originally given in Numbers 19, after the Jews had sinned with the the golden calf, and then they were judged by God, and I think 30,000 of them, some large number died, and there were so many people dead, in the desert, they had to bury them quickly, and there had to be a cleansing from sin and death. So God told them to take a red heifer, or a big, basically like a cow, the only female offering in all the Old Testament, take this red heifer, sacrifice it, and burn it completely. Most of them are partly burned, and they would usually eat part of the sacrifice. The person giving the sacrifice would eat a part, the priest would eat a part, but this one was completely burned. And then they used the ashes, a sprinkle of the ashes in the bowl of water, special water they would use to cleanse people, to sprinkle on them, to be ritually cleansed, to be purified. That way they could worship, they could go into the temple. So if they build the temple, they believe they cannot use the temple until the ground, the building, all the implements, and the people are sprinkled with the ashes of this earlier mm. red heifer. Will the temple be built before the Antichrist appears? What's the scheduling in regard to the appearance of the Antichrist? The Bible says the middle of the tribulation period, Jesus tells us, Matthew 24, verse 15, I believe it is, where the Antichrist will go into the middle of the temple and commit what he called the abomination of desolation. This is where they go and basically take the Ark of the Covenant out. He puts an idol of himself in the place of the Ark, and probably an earlier king, evil king, did something where he took an unholy animal, a female pig, a sow, and sacrificed his sow. He may do that also, as this earlier king did, and sprinkle it, the juices of this to be a desecration to the temple. He's going to do some kind of desecration similar to this, they think. And this will happen in the middle of the tribulation. So for the Antichrist to do that, there has to be an existing temple standing and operation going on with sacrifices by the middle of the tribulation. Antichrist rules seven years, so three and a half years into it, there has to be a standing temple. I believe the Antichrist builds it right after he comes to power, but it could even be built before he comes to power, but it has to be built by the middle of the tribulation. As we look at the situation today, what are current temple preparations? They've already been looking for many years for the priests. They've also determined by checking their DNA, there's a certain genome they can check that only these qualified priests from the Kovanin, a certain group of Korah or Khan group of family, a family, a certain family in the, the Levi line, has a certain genome that means they're a priest. Now, all Levi serve God, but only certain of the Levi family 
the Khan family or Kohanim family, could go into the temple. Others were guards in other areas, or musicians even, but these could go in the temple. So they're looking for certain people that have this DNA genome and asking, would they be willing to? And the ones who are willing, they have several seminaries training them in how to serve and how to cut up sacrifices and things, how to even play the music instruments, many things they're training them to do. So that's one thing. They've also made that menorah. It's about six or seven foot tall, of 90 pounds of gold, standing a very expensive menorah. They say something like $3 million of gold, of solid gold, this menorah, to use in the temple. And other implements, the priest garments, uh, trumpets, the harps, many of these things have made again. But they believe they must have the original ark. They can use other things. They can make them again. But the ark of the covenant they're looking for, they must have the original, they believe, for that. Where do you think the uh, future temple will stand? Well, there's many different possibilities. The main four possibilities I've mentioned in the book. One is it's all going to be somewhere on the Temple Mountain itself, wherever it might be. And the Temple Mountain has always been in the same general location where they, they call the Temple Mountain now. Now, this is right now was taken over by the Arabs several years ago, somewhat in the Arabs' hands. But the Jews took it back in 1967, and this Temple Mount area has in the middle of it two different Muslim buildings. One is the Dome of the Rock, and the other is the Oscar Mosque, which both were originally churches, actually, and then take over by the Muslims. The Dome of the Rock is where people believe the temple will actually stand. There is four different possibilities. Though. One is the north side, Dr. Asher Kaufman, which holds a north view, a northern view, possibility on the north side of it. And a little bit to the north, there's a Dome of the Spirits, where another escarpment of rock six up high. And that is considered by some to be the Holy of Holies. But that's the northern view in line with the eastern gate. Another view in line with the southern possibility below this is the Al-Qas Fountain, the washing fountain for the Arabs today, in front of the El Oska Mosque. In other words, between the Dome of the Rock and the Oscar Mosque. So we believe it will be there, more in line with another old bridge that used to cross over near that pinnacle of the temple uh, platform itself. So we believe it's going to be the Dome of the Rock, this enlarged platform area in the middle. And that's the most common popular view. There's two different views of that, though. The rock in the middle, under the rock, of the, of the Dome of the Rock, I'm sorry, under the Dome of the Rock, the rock itself, the foundation stone, some people believe that is the, where the Holy of Holies would be, so that's one view. And then others think, no, that's not the Holy of Holies, that would be the altar in front of the temple, because the altar also had a high rock platform it was standing on. So one of those two views, and we really can't tell which is correct until they are able to go up and do archaeological excavation. So they argue about it with measurements and things, and there's different pros and cons of certain views. I lay all of them out in my book, showing the possibilities, and really I lean personally to it. The Holy of Holies being at the foundation stone, but it's very close to the, the altar place. It's almost the same view. It's very close. So we'll know for sure once they can do archaeological excavation. This is certainly a dramatic time for Israel, to say the least, with all of the rockets coming in. I know Marvin and I were speaking this morning about the uh, continuing hostility against the Jewish state. When I talk to you and, you know, we're talking about the Temple Mount and about Jerusalem and so forth, I'm, I'm just once again reminded 
that the animosity, the anger, the rage against the Jewish state, there's got to be something more (laughs) there, something satanic, something devilish, something evil. This is all very, very significant. Thank you so much for being with us for this first segment. Well, thank you so much. God bless all of your listeners. The title of the book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. Today we're excited to debut Dr. Lonnie Shipman's brand new book entitled Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. This book explores the quest for the lost ark in 25 locations in 10 countries. Join the search for the ark, the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the millennial temple will be rebuilt by God himself with all the world assisting him. Order your copy of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Greg Patton comes now to share today's look at Living in Today's World. As the dad, I reminded my kids very early, because I think it was very important, They're pretty good looking, all six of them. And I reminded them that there's always somebody better looking, stronger, smarter, all of that. And I certainly, as I've gotten older, have not changed my mind on that one. Some folks may look in the mirror today and say, well, you certainly look good. You are more beautiful than I realized. Hey, been working out at the gym every day, I understand, huh? You're looking pretty good. Think our culture is obsessed with external beauty nowadays? Oh, you know it is. As hard as we may try to improve that outward appearance, and we do. I was lamenting to my son last night. They've been jogging, so's my daughter. They're older, what, 30s, 40s? They're jogging up a storm. I used to do that until 2012 when I ruined my knee and had to have it replaced. And uh, when you have new knees, you're not supposed to jog, so... Hey, we all experience the effects of aging, getting there. This is sagging, and that's drooping, and my goodness. Far more important, however, is that inner character, the beauty of the inner character, which lasts into all eternity. What do you think one of the most attractive inward qualities is in a person? Have you thought about that? Many believe that it's kindness. It goes a long way, no question about it. People characterized by kindness are what? They're considerate, they're loving, they're tender-hearted, they're very helpful, they're gentle. You want to be around those kind of people. Those on the other end of the spectrum are quick-tempered, and they're bitter, and they're crude, and rude, and demanding, and you don't want to be around those people. Basically, the difference has to do with whether one's focus is on self or others. Is that right? It is self or others. God is characterized by kindness, is he not? Even to ungrateful and evil men, according to Luke 6.35. As Christians, you and I should be also putting on that attractive quality. From Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, we have the Holy Spirit within, and kindness is his fruit displayed in our words and actions. Authentic kindness does not depend on how others treat us, nor is it a manipulation to get what we want. A lot of people do that, including Christians. Kindness is a selfless quality. It really is. It's always considering 
others and what's best for others, whether those people deserve it or not. However, some people think that not standing up for themselves and their rights is a real sign of weakness today. But the question might be, which takes more strength in the world today? To be kind when you are mistreated and lash out, and it's easy to do. We all think very highly of ourselves, and when we come under some form of attack, of verbal or otherwise, yep, I'm going to have my say here, put in my two cents. One purpose of God's kindness is to lead people to repentance, according to Romans 2.4, to get that person saved. Would someone want to talk to you, be around you, and be willing to listen to you share the good news of Jesus Christ? And more importantly, would they then go with you and accept Jesus Christ as Savior? When we display kindness in our lives, God can use us to draw others to himself, which is the whole goal, getting people to Jesus Christ. You and I both know as we read our Bibles that the Christian life is built around the concept of sacrifice. Jesus Christ, he left the perfection of heaven, imagine that, to dwell among a very sinful people so that he might reconcile us to Almighty God. He offered up his life for our sake, and as believers, we're supposed to follow him, his example. Paul called it a living sacrifice because it's ongoing and it's repeated daily. How are you doing in that? And of course, we know that Paul, too, lived in a time when sensuality, the pursuit of pleasure, rebellion against the Lord were prevalent. In response, he wrote letters urging Christians not to follow the ways of the world. Still need to hear that today. Like those early believers, we are to pursue godliness. Romans 12, good reading today. Presenting our bodies to God, we need to do it. Our total being, mind, will, physical body, personality, emotions, all we need to turn them all over to the Heavenly Father, James 4, 7. The Christian life built around the concept of sacrifice. Jesus Christ gave his life for our sake to make a payment for our sins, 1 John three sixteen, to bring us into the family. And as believers, we're supposed to follow his example. Living sacrifice, life's full of options this day. Many decisions involve a choice between following God's way or your way. Maturing Christians will increasingly sacrifice their own desires and embrace the will of God. A life of godliness characterized by a heart and a mind bent toward the things of Almighty God. Well, I'm always asking it. What did you get out of the Word today? Something really special? Oh, great. How about prayer? You prayed today? That's fantastic. Did you serve at all this week? We need to be reading our Bible and praying and serving in some way mankind, and uh, Christians were supposed to do that. How about fellowship? I need you. I need Christians in my life. And my unsaved aunt had hundreds of friends, worldly, without Christ. So you're saved. Get some Christian friends and fellowship. And for some reason, I've come to appreciate this one more and more. I have pastored the same church for 35 years in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And yet, come Sunday morning, I can't wait to get there. And I think that's the way it should be. There is so much strength to be had in the local church, my friend. Yeah, those believers are there with you. They support you. They pray for you. They love you. Oh, absolutely. It's the big deal. Get in a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Join the search for the Lost Ark of the Covenant 
with Dr. Lonnie Shipman's brand new book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. Order your copy when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we wrap up our look at the treasure and the coming temple of God with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.